Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 9, issue 402. And it's God of War, the 2018 soft reboot. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 402 are Brian Edwards. Hello. And Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Uh, this is a spoiler warning. I'm going to do two for heavily story-based games because I think it's important that we make sure that people don't ruin things for themselves. That's your first one. So this was a, as I say, a soft reboot because the events of the previous games have happened, but they've kind of redrawn the character and they've changed a lot of elements of the game style and things like that. Uh, it took four years in development, or it was, uh, I think it was leaked four years before it came out anyway, uh, from Sony Santa Monica, and director is Corey Barlog. Uh, it was released on April 20th, 2018, so it is getting on for, yeah, it's like one and three quarter years since I played it, so apologies if my memories are a little hazy, but uh, I haven't had a chance to revisit this epic encounter. Obviously, I've been doing my research, but I did finish it at the time and beyond. Uh, it reviewed incredibly well. Overall, it has a 95% average on Open Critic. And of course, there's also been, I suppose, something of a verbal and vocal back. I don't know if backlash is right, but of course, because it's a video game, not everybody likes the same things. And so we've certainly got some people among the team who didn't get on with it. James found it crushingly boring and gave up halfway through, I think. I believe Jacob wasn't a fan either. I won't speak for everybody, but I always like to point out that, you know, we only bring what we bring, our own opinions and experiences. But actually looking at the user reviews, the people out there still seem to rate the game overall. IMDb, where I guess it's more... Uh, people who are interested in cinematic experiences overall, they loved it. 9.6 out of 10 from 12,000, almost 13,000 punters. Push Square, which is a PlayStation-based game site, 9.5 out of 10. And it is, of course, an exclusive, which can bias things ever so slightly. But on Metacritic, it has a 9.1, which is you know maybe one of the more telling scores it has. So overall, still really outstandingly positive. But of course, there have also been articles written and videos made about how this game is a disaster so <laughs> uh, aren't there always of course there are yeah as there should be celebrations and critiques in equal measure but uh i mean there are only three of us here and we all wanted to be on the show so there is a there is always always a good chance of a certain amount of confirmation bias with what we do but uh but we don't mind that because we prefer to celebrate however no doubt we'll have some criticisms even those of us who enjoyed the game it was a financial success, I'm sure, because it sold, or it has sold by May of last year, over 10 million copies. Although I suspect that the budget for the game was pretty astronomical, judging by the production values, although I don't know that figure. Brian, I know you've been back to it somewhat at least, but yep. uh, did you day one this? Yeah, um, I did. I I was a big fan of uh, God of War and God of War 2, um, but by the time God of War 3 came around and, and the PSP titles and then the Vita titles, up, um, I really had kind of soured on the whole formula. Maybe sour is not the right term, but it definitely felt like it had run its course. So when it had, was rumored that um, a new God of War game was coming out and then kind of the early impressions, I wasn't really uh, very interested. And then I got sucked into the hype of preview coverage and watching some trailers and some gameplay stuff leading up to the release. And uh, yeah, so I ended up getting it day one. 
Uh, really glad I did uh, because I pretty much played it uh, nonstop for the for the next maybe two or even three weeks after I got it until completion mm-hmm. and then doing some other stuff afterwards, um, which was very surprising to me because as someone who was a fan of God of War one or two one and two, I think God of War two I bought on a Tuesday and traded in on a Thursday because I had already you know kind of. Yeah, been through it and beaten it. So uh, my experience with this God of War was quite different, um, mm-hmm. um, which we'll talk about later. But yeah, so it was day one um, and, and pretty much played nothing but that until um, I'd finished it. I recently went back to it maybe around the first of the year, just kind of played through. Didn't complete my playthrough, but I got well over three quarters of the way through the game again. And, right. and I was going to mainline just the story stuff and then, uh, you know, distracted. Game, yes, very easily distracted. <laughs> So. Mm, well, he's such a helpful soul, Kratos, isn't he? Yeah. He, just, oh, yeah. he can't help <laughs> yeah. himself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you play it on? Was it base PS4 at 1080p yeah. or base PS4 1080p and and same again? I don't own a PS4 Pro. I, okay. Yeah. Just so as we know, uh, Joshua. Hello. Yes. Um, so my my story is actually quite similar to Brian's. Um, I love um, God of War one and two, uh, two especially. Um, I think mm-hmm. that still has a, like warts and all. I realise those games have problematic elements yeah. um, regarding women and uh, violence and all of that stuff. But like I I but was you fi- love that stuff. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I mean I was fifteen uh, when the first game came out and seventeen when the second game came out. So in I think in a lot of ways this caught me at the right age where like uh, you know when you're a teenager something being edgy and dark is enough to feel deep in a lot of ways. And uh, <laughs> yeah. as you grow up, you start craving more texture. Um, and that's kind of what happened with me is that I, I still have the fondness for those first two games and and the, the third game caught me at 20 and suddenly I was like, ah, this doesn't work with me in the same way as it used to. Um, and I, when this game was announced, I was really interested in the concept, like just kind of shifting the mythology, kind of focusing on a different set of myths. Um, and also just taking on the task of like essentially rebooting this character while still being within the timeline that's that's a challenge that's hard you like the you know an easier task would have been to just completely start from scratch pretend like everything that happened before hadn't happened yeah. and this is a new character um but they they went they deliberately chose the harder path and i was like you know i respected that bravery um, so I was much like Brian, kind of wrapped up by the excitement, the reviews, and and ended up playing this uh, day one. Um, I haven't gone through the whole campaign again, but um, I have uh, revisited the challenges and the Valkyrie and stuff like that ah, um, right. every once in a while. Good stuff. Yeah, I also got hype sucked into this, dis- despite my better you know intentions or whatever it was uh it was the usual thing of the game comes out and gets the crazy reviews and 
Who was it who made that particular quote that was kind of cheesy and kind of did the rounds about, you know, it's a game that's got the, the this of Breath of the Wild and the that of The Last of Us <laughs> that, and the this of Dark Souls or whatever. That was um, that was Jeff Canada. I, yeah, I should right. say that I, I, I listened to the Slash Filmcast, which he's uh, he's a, a member of. And I do I do like Jeff overall, but sure, that was sure. that was a little bit overall on his part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he was obviously having a good time and yeah. uh, and he enjoyed it and you know we can't deny his experience but i think it was actually just it was one of those things where one of the one of the things that we talk about for Kane and Rinson always have is that that actually sort of that level of hype isn't actually very persuasive and really yeah. all it does is just make you want to want that want you to want them to be wrong yeah <laughs> you know, kind of yeah. so um i think it kind of um i don't i mean the game did fine obviously and reviewed incredibly well but i there was that certain amount of hype however i suppose it did kind of um bubble up the conversation to to even higher levels um and so maybe maybe in in its own funny way it did contribute to me day one in the game on as a digital download so i'm basically paying the you know the stupid price at the stupid time but <laughs> uh, even though many times i've done that kind of thing in the past i've ended up then shelving the game for anything from you know a year to five years or whatever or god knows more uh, especially with the with the caner schedule i actually managed to play this like straight away and heavily for a good two or three weeks until i'd not only completed it but also done some of the side stuff as well that has been my one and only kind of time with it so i haven't been back to it for all this time um would i have done if i had nothing on my plate to do the extra stuff probably um but yes we'll get in more into how much i liked it and what i did and didn't like of course as we said it's a soft reboot according to moby games of sony's long-running series uh, famously the originals were set in and around greek mythology and this is set later but within the world of norse mythology where kratos is living in midgard along with his new son from his second wife who has recently passed away uh he encounters a mysterious stranger who we here's your second spoiler warning later discover is baldur played by jeremy davies and uh, that kicks off a set of events which sees him visiting the Nine Realms uh, to scatter his dead wife's ashes from atop the highest mountain peak. Uh, so the camera is tighter in. Other things of note about this game is that uh, they went for a kind of continual, as if it was one a, a one-take, one-shot game. The camera never cuts away as such. I think that's maintained thoroughly throughout. I don't think anyone's proved them wrong. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's not like one of those films where they do this and they can actually kind of, they have to actually budget sometimes when they do. I think 1917 is one of those. Um, and there have been, of course, some lengthy one-take films as well. But here, uh, it's kind of stitched together after the fact anyway, because it's a computer game. Um, we've got far more RPG-type elements and yeah, just I suppose the combat is kind of fundamentally changed from something that was kind of a more cinematic take on the Japanese action, uh, 3D action games and more into, I guess, something of its own beast. Obviously, we'll get into the we'll get into the contact uh, into the, the combat and the context of the the, the actual gameplay. Uh, it's in a semi linear world uh, where some exploration is allowed and backtracking there's some sort of 
Metroidvania elements, side activities and tasks as well, but it's not an open world in the way that something like uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is. So according to IMDB trivia, and here's another spoiler, before Atreus reveals his other name of Loki, he displays traits associated with Loki. Atreus's mother was a Jotun named Fae. Uh, Loki's mother is known as Lofe in Norse mythology, with Fae being a shortened form of Lofe. Atreus asks if he can change into an animal. Loki was known to be a shapeshifter. He kind of does change into an animal in combat, doesn't he? If I recall correctly. We certain summons sort of yeah, he'll summon beasties. yeah different beasts from his bow, and you know, like there's yeah. a, there's a squirrel and there's a you know, a wolf and some crows or ravens. I can't remember which one, yeah. but yeah. Uh, in Norse mythology, Loki's father is named Farbauti, which is Norse for cruel striker, an appropriate title for Kratos, who is Loki's father in this game. So obviously, it's kind of playing. Fast and loose with actual mythology, as the God of War games did with Greek mythology, telling using that as a setting, but then flying off in their own direction. I quite like the idea of actually. I, I think I found it a bit hard to get my head around at first, and I'm an, a non-religious person at all, and certainly the ideas of um, pantheons of gods is uh, an idea that I find very entertaining and makes for some great stories. Um, but obviously, I have no actual truck with it but um but the idea of mashing up more than one of these mythologies i think at first i found it a difficult thing to get my head around but actually it's quite i think it's a pretty fun idea yeah yeah i didn't think it would work at first like when um when this game was kind of being previewed and it's like you know god of war but instead of greek gods now they're norse it's like okay like like are they going to bring some of the the the, the store stuff over are they going to restart like all the all the um conjecture beforehand mm. but it really does marry them nicely and it kind of um i mean for as much as you can do to make a story like this believable or to make it grounded in any sense of reality like like i can believe the path that led kratos to here you know that that allows for these you know different sets of deities to kind of exist in the same you know physical space and and mm. um it it goes i think it goes a, a long way to at least getting me um to the point where i was like okay yeah like i like i none of this there was not no big major plot point that happened where i was like come on like really no like it made sense a lot all of like and and a lot of that is is really shown well through the the baggage that uh kratos carries throughout this game you know like it using his previous experiences to inform the new ones kind of kind of is is a nice way to marry those those two sets of ideologies the emailer from the forum says generally the approach to lore and world building is very impactful particularly the conversations between atreus and mimir the world is explained through stories and the characters constantly are giving their views on these stories the characters of thor and odin weigh heavily on the story whilst never being seen the game does a great job in building why they are important and the consequences of their previous actions. It builds two compelling villains completely off screen. Yeah, I have to completely agree with the the emailer here. Um, the the interactions in the boat and between Atreus, Mimir, and Kratos I, they've been talked about quite a bit in relationship to this game. But it it's amazing how what should be relatively uh, like monotone traversal kind of going back and forth from one place to another really does flesh out and give color to this world through the stories that are told in the boat through Mimir and the way he describes the different um, 
the different uh, facets of Norse mythology that I was that I was previously ignorant to. And mm. it it makes just the act of getting in the boat and going from one place to another like in- entertaining and engaging. I know I'm mm. I'm far from the first person to have ever said this, but I would get to the shores or to the boat dock and I would just sit and wait until the story was over before I dock cuz I didn't want it mm. to stop. And mm. and for a game it reminds me um and, and th- these are two very different games and two very different um experiences, but it in my recent playthrough of the of the game Control where every little piece of lore, every little document I could pick up, every every single thing I could pick up and read in that game, I stopped to pick up and read and I felt the exact same way. Uh, when play, it made me feel a lot of how I felt while playing God of War. Is that I, I wanted to soak up everything that they had to say in that boat, and that is, and that is absolutely encouraged by three tremendous voice, uh, tremendous, it's tremendous. Hey, new new word. It's a I Norse like word. It. Don't even worry about it. Um, uh, three tremendous voice acting performances. Um, that just like it's it very easy to get lost in those conversations and feel like you're just part of the boat. Yeah, if if there's if there's one thing um I think the game gets right in in terms of its storytelling is making sure that it's developing the world while the characters are on the move rather than pausing to right here's your ex, uh, you know exposition yep. dump about uh why the world is the way it is and why um these dark elves and light elves are fighting each other all of that stuff like it it has the you know it has the it has the wisdom to kind of just like trust that the the audience will pick up on these small details by themselves and anything that needs filling in can be filled in during those quiet moments when you're on the boat um yeah. and when characters are just exploring environments that doesn't feel the need to pause the action unless it's uh, for character beats which i think is the wise moment to mm-hmm. pause the action yeah, and I I think that it's also coming from the point of view of essentially an inquisitive child too, which yeah. is very believable. You know, yeah. Atreus will be on the boat and he'll see something, and be like, "Hey, Mamir, what's that?" You know, because that's what a kid would do. Um, you know, on an event, like it feels very natural. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like you're crossing some invisible invisible line in the in the ocean where you know the the code says to start story here. It just feels very natural. Yeah. Mm. And I think uh, on a technical level, it does uh, a similar thing. You're talking about the stories in the boat uh, as Red Dead Redemption, which is that you can be interrupted by action and mm. the story will pick up if you want it to uh, when you get back in the boat or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Great stuff. And I I assume without having corroborated this and certainly not having the knowledge, I assume that most of the tales that Mimir spins are much more closely based on... Yeah, it's actual Norse mythology. Obviously, they they have their own creative liberties, but like this is a lot closer than let's say the Marvel Cinematic Universe's sure, take. Right. <laughs> so, according to creator Corey Barlog, again, this is from IMDb trivia. The visual language of the game is specifically intended to imply that Faye left markings throughout the world to guide Kratos and Atreus on their journey. Because she foresaw their future, she laid out the path for her family with the yellow markings that identified to the player where Kratos can interact to climb or explore a space. So I think this is kind of sold as a big reveal towards the end of the game. And I know some people were kind of moved uh, and blown away by it, but I I wouldn't say I got that from it, but I was impressed that somebody had at least attempted 
to legitimise having yellow markings for yes. the places you can <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I was, I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, you know, it's not just because that's where the caution tape was left by the construction workers. <laughs> you know, that that's where you're supposed to hop up. Yeah, it's an interesting narrative way to try to try to explain why there are those markings and grooves cut into the walls and stuff. Sure. And that stuff, I think, is uh, is when 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 it's a video game when when video game is the medium you're talking about i think that stuff is as important in a way and there's i suppose in a way finding out right at the end kind of means that you have to sort of retrospectively think oh well that makes sense but the amount of games we have played through certainly i've found myself playing uncharted games and things like that and i'm a i'm a fan of naughty dog's work on uh, overall but just thinking this is all so convenient. <laughs> like every <laughs> yeah. every handhold is, and every I, I was recently up some actual cliffs in Ireland, and just thinking, yeah, I could not uncharted this landscape because I, I mean, obviously, I'm I haven't got the upper body strength, but also just it's not built for clambering on at yeah. all. Um, you would need all the gear, not just your fingertips and one bit of rope. <laughs> um, so, and here you've got the justifications of. A, your characters are gods or godlike beings. And also, yeah, so at the end of the game, you can say, well, yeah, it made sense that everything was, my path was laid out for me because it was literally laid out for me. So nice touch. I don't know if it's, is it something that now can ever be done again, though? It's like, yeah, God of War did that. <laughs> I also like how she didn't just foresee your main path. She foresaw that at this point you were going to stop off on the island and decide to help this wayward ghost <laughs> and, yeah. to, and to paint the she knew. yeah she knew everything yeah so it said no it's a, it's a <laughs> nice it's a nice uh, nice way to describe that so yeah more on the characters and the cast and the script and the performances obviously the main thing is that kratos has been recast the first mm -hmm. game where he's not been voiced by terence tc carson and the role is given to christopher judge he's an older more introspective Kratos. Uh, we got quite a bit of correspondence on how people feel this went down. I know there were some misgivings among fans of the original series, thinking that actually not every game has to be earnest and introspective and <laughs> thoughtful and emotional, and there's probably room for games that are just pure violence and bombast. But obviously your mileage may vary. Toon Scottoon from the forum says, as time passes, it's normal to compare the people in our lives now to the versions of themselves we knew from the past. We hope they get better. And I can say that for me, this version of Kratos is a lot more enjoyable to spend time with than the throbbing slab of pixels and pain I remember from the original God of War. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's an excellent turn of phrase. How do you feel about the redrawing, recasting of Kratos? I, I think it's just wise in in every possible way um i do have a lot of criticism of this game but the the where they took the characters and where they took um just kind of the maturity of of viewing the content is really kind of something that you don't see necessarily that much um a lot of uh initial comparisons to the original god of war were direct comparisons to the devil may cry series and if you look at the path that those two series have taken, I mean, it's not it's not fair to compare the two anymore because one has turned itself into um, into this, into this God of War game we played in 2018, and the other one has essentially stayed a version of itself. And and this game, not just because of the way that the world is set up and the way that the you know the open ended backtracking, all that stuff. But I'm sure we'll get more into that. But that it really took a good hard look at its characters and said, where who do we want these people to be? 
Um, I don't think there were any. I don't think anybody could have played this game and thought that they suddenly turned Kratos into a good guy. Um, but they did do the necessary work to make me care about him in a way that I hadn't in the entirety of the series. So uh, I think really good on him. Um, I know that we'll probably talk about it later, but the the documentary Raising Kratos that that was released outside, uh, alongside of the game does a good job of explaining how they kind of made these choices regarding him as a character and, and, and how they were going to bring him into kind of more modern video games and make, and make this type of game. And I think that it, um, I, I just really think it served, served the game, served the characters and just served the overall feel of the franchise. Well, yeah, I, I think the the biggest success with both this direction and the recasting is that I like this character has a future now. And I think there are storytelling things that we'll get into later that, um, you know, I want to criticize. But this, you know, Kratos of the PS2 era is very much a character of of that era. Mm. And I think if they carried on along that path, and they did for a little bit with, you know, uh, God of War Ascension, um, Mm. that he would have felt so out of place and... Um, not in keeping with um, the developments um, that have been going on. Um, I think, you know, I have a lot of uh, affection for Terence Carson's performance, sure. even yeah, as, as over-the-top and and, uh, and and silly as it can be at times. He gave it is a lot. A, he gave a lot, and it was a lot. And, you know, um, Christopher Judge is taking cues from that performance. He's, yep, he's no like the, the voice... The two voices are not as um, dissimilar as you might think at, um, mm. at, at you know first listening to them. when when Christopher Judge gets angry, some of that Terence Carson performance comes through. Yeah. But the, the the difference is is that there's now layers. There's there's more to Kratos. There's that quiet intensity. There's that quiet anger. There are moments where he's genuinely affectionate and and more thoughtful, and you weren't going to get that from from. I'm not saying you weren't going to get that from Terence Carson. That was Obvious, my next question. Uh, yeah, what if they'd I, given TC Carson this yeah, script? I, like, is it unfair on him? I think possibly it is, yeah. but I think what they were attempting to do was rebuild Kratos from the ground up. And I right. think if any brick in that building was similar, there would have been a temptation to go back to the, the old blueprint. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think Ter- you know, Terrence Carson's a good actor. I think he could have been capable of this with a decent script. Um, but I think ultimately they would, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm assuming this this is not based on anything I've heard. I just mm. feel like they were, you know, let's let's rebuild from the ground up and mm. uh, and abandon even the things that were good before so that we have license to be incredibly creative. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And and again, not based on any knowing any of the backstory behind it. It just seems like if you're going to have this logical breaking point from the series where you're really going to be starting Kratos new again, it's 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 kind of that whole slap and a fresh coat of paint on it, you know? Um, and I think, I think the character benefits from it, although I'm sure, because I really, there are like, there are times or still to this day, I will just shout Aries for no reason. Other <laughs> yeah. than the fact that I just love that cartoon that it's not even cartoon, it's just it's the performance of a different era. And, yeah. Yeah. and so, I, yeah, I think he could have very, very well given it a go and it probably would have been great. We probably would be sitting here talking about how, how good it was, but 
uh, we might be less lauding or less um praising the uh the risks and kind of the the new direction they were trying to take i mean by they by littering giving credo a new voice it, it it's it's almost like that that showing the the entire audience that we are taking this character in a fully different yeah. direction i just thought of the very logical reason why they recast the character because of course kratos is uh motion captured in this and christopher mm. judge is a very large imposing individual <laughs> that's a good point and terrace carson yeah. is you know no offense to him but he's considerably smaller so i and think older, presumably yeah um and i think you know casting somebody who embodies the physical presence of kratos and mm. not just the voice was important for this yeah it's interesting just because there have been any number of voice recastings for a lot of famous video game characters without it really meriting much comment. I'm thinking particularly of like everyone in Resident Evil has been played yeah, by. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we're going again, we're going back to a previous era. But yeah, th this was actually a big deal to a lot of people. And um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if there are any people out there I haven't explored to if to find if there are people who just loathe this interpretation of kratos either as it's written or as it's performed or a combination i suspect there are because there are people in the world and <laughs> but uh but yeah. i think overall i think most people consider even if they didn't like the game i don't I, I haven't had too many you know i haven't read too many qualms about the the performance as such yeah it's it's one of those things with if you look at kratos from the ps2 era and i'm not i'm not saying these things are are the same Kratos could very easily that voice that character could very easily have been like a like a like a Duke Nukemish right. of the PS2 era if in, in painted in a certain light and mm. I think that just by this move whether people like the old Kratos in the way it was at all I, myself personally sub completely subjective by the end of God of War three I was pretty done with that Kratos mm. and yeah. Yeah. and if I would have heard mm. even if I would heard uh, Terrence Carson's good performance in this game, if I were consistently thinking about just the, the jerk that, or the, the character that I just like had grown yeah. to just be done with, I think it, it allowed me yep. to kind of give him to kind of restart. So I, yeah. I think it, from a, from an audience perspective, I think for me personally, it worked. It was very effective to, to, yeah. to let me give this character another chance. Midnight Dayman from the forum says, I think you have to divorce this Kratos from the previous one. The actions he takes in the previous games, the physical and sexual violence, the unrepentant misanthropy and misogyny, basically dooming all of humanity in three or at least all of Greece for his revenge is inexcusable, despite what little attempts towards repentance is made at the end of three. Too little, too late. Now, 2018 Kratos, this strikes me more as an attempt to depict a PTSD suffering Kratos. Imagine, for example, Walker from Spec Ops The Line, coming home, moving to another country and trying to start anew. A man filled with rage at his past actions, now he was at first used by the system, Athena and the other gods for Kratos, who then becomes the monster everyone painted him as, embraces it, acts on it, and then wants forgiveness. Is Kratos worthy of that forgiveness? No, not at all. Not at the end of God of War 2018, where violence and embracing the monster he once was still tends to be the solution to his struggles. But what this game does a good job at is depicting somebody who recognises that they have failed, spectacularly so. It is unclear to what extent Kratos wants to change. It seems he wants to escape at first from his past and then deal with it. But as the game progresses, as he has to save Atreus, 
he at least acknowledges how wrong he was. And that something, something new and worthy of note and merit, admits a sea of games that still revere violence. Yeah, that's well, I think it's well said. Um, they, the, the saying that he's still not worthy of forgiveness of things he does, but um, just the recognition of one's failures. And I think mm. that, that that does make him... Um, make him more emotionally relatable, especially in the the in the scenes where he's uh, kind of having these conversations with the ghost Athena that's in his head and, you know, about how he's still a monster and he's, you know, and he agrees, you know, she said it might be in the past, like, like the God of War three, um, Kratos, if Athena called him a monster, he would scream at her, but you made me this way. And in this mm-hmm. game, she calls him a monster. He's like, I, yes, I am. I know, but I have to be the monster that protects this boy now, as opposed to, being the monster that is doing things strictly for my own um, selfish yeah. reasons. Um, well, he does still have a lot of self-serving reasons for the things he's doing. It's just yeah. uh, it, 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 that conflict, I think it, it resonates more realistically. Yeah, I, I think, and this, this is kind of coming on to my big criticism of the story, is that, yes, what they do with the character here sets him up to be more relatable and more sympathetic going forward. But I feel like a lot of the the plot is framed in such a way where it wants this to be a redemption for Kratos. And it's funny because, you know, a a peek behind the scenes um, for Caden Rince listeners, we're recording this uh, quite shortly after uh, recording the Red Dead Redemption 2 podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny uh, comparing those two games um, so directly um, because they're they're both essentially about um, bad men trying to be better. Mm-hmm. But God of War doesn't, for my money, evidence any real good actions on the behalf of Kratos (laughs) throughout the whole campaign. And this, I'm going to say something that may ruffle people up the wrong way, but caring and loving for your child doesn't make you a good person because you are biologically programmed to care and love for your child. Yeah. Completely agree with you on that. No, I, and yeah, being a good person is about caring about your actions towards somebody that you have no relationship yes. with whatsoever. Yep. And yeah. the reason why Arthur Morgan's redemption in Red Dead Redemption 2 is so powerful is he starts to care about people he's not personally involved with mm-hmm. and realizing his actions have wider consequences. Kratos is a good person because he loves his son and wants to protect his son, and that doesn't make him a good person. And yeah. ultimately, he is still ruining lives for selfish reasons throughout Absolutely. the plot of this game. I've got a lot of fatherly things to say now. Um, good, good. Because, um, yeah. because, like, he's not even caring and loving for your child is one thing. You said you're biologically pre, you know, predisposed to do that, but he's not even a good father. Yeah, and, yeah. And because, because they're the entire first half. For, I mean, maybe even the first two acts of the game are just Atreus constantly reminding him that he's never been there, doesn't know anything about him. He's always gone. He's always out hunting or out you know, fighting or doing something. And the only person that Atreus had this connection with was his mother. And the only reason that Kratos is doing this is because it was the dying wish of his wife. Now, you don't see for a long time. They, they try to build this emotional scenes, and, it's, and it, really, it really pissed me off these, this last playthrough. In the first maybe hour of the game, there's a couple scenes where Atreus is like looking off, remembering his mother, 
and Kratos does the thing where he almost puts his hand on his shoulder, but then draws it back. Like he's like struggling to show his son any emotion, trying you know, like to show him that he cares about him. And that maybe a few years ago, I was I read it as oh he's struggling with his son. And to me now, as the father, I was like, man, what an <laughs> like, yeah. like your yeah. son is struggling. You can't even put a hand on his shoulder. You can't. You can't even put a hand on his shoulder and say, "Hey, kid, it's gonna be okay." Like, like he he fails on such a level at being a uh, compassionate character. Still, mm. even when they've taken all these steps to make him more relatable, all the things I've said before. So my so your your problems with the story really mirror mine as well. Is that yeah. while he is more relatable, he there 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 is no part of this where I viewed. Kratos's story in this game as anything close to a redemption story. If anything, mm. it was someone f- like finally being forced in a position where they like have to take care of somebody. It more reminded me of the guy who goes to the bar every night and doesn't care about anything, doesn't you know carry a- any type of responsibility. Who just suddenly gets a child dropped on his doorstep and said, "Oh, this is your child, you know that your long lost child, but the mother passed away, and now you have to deal with it." You know, he was kind of like, yeah. "Oh, well, I guess this is my life now." Not yeah. like you know accepting. <laughs> yeah. that this thing. I'm sorry. It make I'm not meaning to get um all amped no, up I, about I, it. No, great. Stuff, I totally like, agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I I th- this game is um uh, you know due to that kind of parent-child dynamic. This game is compared a lot with The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. And I find it really interesting that it's compared a lot to The Last of Us because that game has the opposite view of this game when it comes mm. to parent-child relationships because the ending of The Last of Us, spoilers for The Last of Us, <laughs> um, it paints Joel's decision to side with his his child or, or you know, child in, you know, basically Surrogate his child. child. Yeah. Surrogate child. As a selfish decision, as a, as a selfish attachment um he he said he essentially dooms the rest of humanity because of his attachment to to ellie whereas in this game that's not that attachment isn't criticized at all it's it's just yeah kratos is a good person now so it's 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 so i i i find it odd that that comparison is drawn so closely when the two games actually come to very different conclusions about parenthood and its ultimate worth. The game doesn't specifically, again, forgive me if I'm remembering this wrong, but I didn't feel like the game was in any way preaching to me that at the end there was redemption for Kratos. Does it, did did you feel it did that? I I mean, his, you know, that, that chapter ends. um, I don't think, I don't think it, it, it it ends thinking right kratos is a good person now mm. and he is fully absolved of his sins yeah. but i do think it frames his relationship with his son as something that is absolving him of mm. his sins yeah. or is is leading to him being absolved from his sins at a later mm. date and i just and this is a subjective thing i just fundamentally disagree with that conclusion well yeah and that's that's something that's really shown in his conversations with freya um like when when atreus gets falls ill and he takes it's right before the scene where he goes back to get the blades of chaos um he drops him off and and she says you know you need to go basically you need to go into hell and get this thing you know to come back to to help heal your son and kratos is like well i'm gonna do the thing i never said i would do again because me sticking to my own values is less important than saving my son. 
So it tries to build him as like this character who now has this other priority. And I think it's effective in doing doing that in the sense that it makes you see that Kratos cares about more than just himself, but yeah. it doesn't go as far as it could. Maybe it doesn't want to. I mean, that could just be me, but it doesn't go as far as it could to making him uh, a redeemable character, someone that like to root for, you know, for, ex- for example. And and I think maybe they weren't going for that. Maybe maybe that's not the goal. But I do think where it did succeed is that this is the way I'm talking about Kratos after this game. When in the previous entries, all I could say about Kratos is, "Wow, what a jerk!" You know what I mean? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Nup Raptor from the forum says, "I played through the previous mainline entries in the series. The epic reimaginings of ancient Greek mythology were stunning to play through, and the combat was always fun, even if less accomplished than the Devil May Cry games or Ninja Gaiden. But the games had one major flaw for me: playing as Kratos himself was deeply unpleasant. He was quite simply an unrelentingly awful douchebag." <laughs> A guy you think might have been dreamed up by a focus group looking at what they think the stereotypical young male gamer wants in a protagonist. This paragon of the worst kind of toxic masculinity, this horrendous wish fulfilment of brutality and violence. The tawdry sex minigames included so that the ghost of Sparta can not only hack and slash, but also hump his brutal joyless way through the Greek pantheon. <laughs> the games themselves were fun, but the actions of kratos and being forced to have him as your player avatar just awful thank goodness for his entirely believable redesign as a grumpy dad what a refreshing twist on the character his regret for his past actions and his attempts to be a good father to his son form the core of his character in this game it makes for a more engaging and enjoyable experience the way atreus is integrated into the gameplay just cements that sense of the game as being about their relationship and the attempts of Kratos to move on from his brutal past and to form a positive relationship with his son. He remains tainted by his brutal nature and complete inability to communicate any kind of emotional complexity, but now these are presented as acknowledged and tragic character flaws that he is struggling to overcome. In previous God of War games, I was kept going by the gameplay and the set pieces but in this game, I was excited to see how the story of Kratos and Atreus would play out. Moving on to Atreus, I think one thing the game does really well is actually building that relationship through play rather than uh, just through cutscenes and dialogue. Um, uh, you have a button that's dedicated to Atreus um, that you can, you know, he'll fire arrows or do special spirit uh, attacks. And he gets better and better and more effective as the game goes along, as that relationship tightens. And I think, you know, finding ways of using play to convey character and narrative is 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 always something I'm excited to see. Uh, I do wish I actually liked Atreus as a character, though. I'm in the same boat with this. Yeah. So, oh, you guys, I, you, you didn't like him? I really no. don't like Atreus. Oh, okay. And- yeah. Maybe now I was going to say, is this just the slightly, I don't know, uh, almost xenophobic thing of like American kids, American adolescent boys being annoying to me? <laughs> like, I don't know. But I'm actually I'm quite like that about British kids as well, um, being slightly <laughs> misanthropic and having virtually no kind of uh, paternal urges whatsoever probably affects one's experience with this game what i did want to say was so uh sunny sulich i think is the way you pronounce his name um he i didn't realize i went to see the jonah hill directed movie his directorial debut mid 90s 
about a group of skateboarding kids in the mid 90s and i thought it was a really lovely film and the lead kid in it i thought was great it's him it's the same huh. kid um and so i don't know if it's the writing or or the the performance in that particular you know i i, I just i found atreus quite irritating um yeah just I, I don't know what it is but he wound me up and then he goes through his bratty phase when he learns he's a god understandably um which kind of seems to last about half an hour and then suddenly yeah it's not yeah that's not done uh, completely well i don't think but that's mm. my least favorite moment in the game story beat wise because it's just it it feels like it comes out of nowhere for the character and then it's over like if you're gonna have that story beat the conclusion of that needs to feel earned like there has to be a struggle to get him back on the right side of things again and it's over in seconds. Mm. And yeah, it's like, why did we even do that? Yeah, I can I can see some real reward in that story arc. Like, here's this kid who's been sickly for a lot of his life. You know, they keep referring to his sickness. The fevers come back, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, then he finds out not only was the reason he was sick all the time because of this warring state inside of him, but he's actually a god. Like, I can see that kid just turning into a, like, just like the most arrogant, like, I've been considered weak all my life. I've had this this old guy next to me the whole time telling me how weak and insignificant I am. And then now I get to be this, you know, raging, you know, kind of spouting power. All, you know, I could see mm. all of that happening, but it really, I'm in the middle of that part right now when it, my replay yeah. of the game. And I know it's almost over because like, cause all that keeps happening is like Mimir will say to Kratos, like, Oh, you got to talk to the boy. And he's like, yes, I do. <laughs> and then You're they talk idiot. and then, yeah, exactly. And then, um, and then, and then it's pretty much gone. Like, like that's a yeah. that's a that's a pretty intriguing plot point I think that the, that is relatively squandered. I mean, you could you could have seen the whole second act, or the third act of that game being about trying to get him to wrestle yeah. his power. Mm. You know, like you could I could see a, a whole section of gameplay like trying to get him kind of on the right path that Kratos couldn't follow himself. Like that, this is all you know, wondering the what could have been, but the, there's potential there. I just feel it wasn't explored. Yeah, and I, and I think. Beyond that scene, my my big pro- problem with Atreus is that, um, and this uh, th- this is not just a criticism of God of War. I think this is a criticism of writing children in <laughs> any medium. Is yeah. that it falls into the trap of writing Atreus as a naive, slightly stupid adult in a child's body, versus like what children and young adults actually are. And I feel yeah. like again, I hate I hate constantly comparing games to other games, but it, this is just a really good comparison. The Last of Us again. Mm. Um, Ellie is smart and sharp. She's just young, and her actions are believable for someone of her age. But she never does anything stupid, right? Um, whereas Atreus, I feel like constantly just doesn't doesn't you know connect the dots or you know draw that line in a way that is believable of someone of that age it and just makes him feel kind of dumb most of the time retro clarence from the forum says overall i enjoyed the game i enjoyed the moment-to-moment combat and the world traversing however the relationship between kratos and atreus didn't entirely land for me i struggled to divorce the kratos from the earlier games from the 2018 vintage in the earlier games i just accepted that he was an everyday mindless idiot who smashed things and treated women like objects. In a gamey kind of way, it was fine. I didn't think about it. This game asked me to think about Kratos as a father and human. 
and I think they would have been better creating an entirely new character. Pecan Pie says, I became a first-time father to a boy in 2019 and aptly played God of War on my paternity leave during his brief nap times. As I advanced in the game, I focused heavily on Atreus' skill tree and came to rely on his skill set more and more as the game progressed. I would avoid engaging enemies if low on health and would have Atreus pick them off as I kited them around. The narration he provided by his questioning Kratos, being curious about the lore of the world and having general, a general optimism in its inhabitants, all set a tone during my adventure and I grew to appreciate him as a son. All of this was sharply brought into focus as I had to travel to Helheim for the first time without him. This cold, depressing place was even lonelier without the ubiquitous banter Atreus provided and my battles became harder without that square button to mash. It echoed the game design of Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, as a physical gaming action that I had come to rely on was removed and the narrative emotional loss I felt was greater. The theme was explored further as Atreus' character arc swung to an arrogant teen with a lack of empathy upon discovering his identity as a deity. As we traversed through the heart of the mountain for a second time, I slowly noticed that Atreus was failing to respond to my square button command. Then, as his wolf summon joined a fight without my button hold, I realised he was acting on his own, and to my astonishment, he was more effective than when I was commanding him. My gaming and parenting ego was bruised as I realised I wasn't as effective as I thought, and Atreus could perform better without me. This commentary on parenting of limiting your child's potential through too much hand-holding shone through brilliantly for me. As we finished our climb up the mountain in silence, I missed the old Atreus and despised who he was becoming. He was impulsive, violent and indifferent, fully inhabiting the worst traits of his father. As my own son slept beside me, I reflected on my fears of passing on traits within myself, addiction, vanity, guilt, and empathised with father Kratos' misguided attempts at protection. I'm just starting my journey of parenting and have many years ahead of trying to navigate my protection impulses. As such, I appreciated God of War for presenting some ideas on parenting for me to think critically about. There's been a lot of that I've been thinking about this uh, my current playthrough of God of War, and mm. I think that um I think pecan pie gets a, gets a lot of my hits a lot of my experiences right on the head. Uh, the most the most one that, that that rings true for me is the passing the fear to, to quote pecan pie the, uh, the fears of passing on traits within myself. Mm. And that's something that as a parent, and I didn't realize how quick that would happen because um, my son's only two and a half. So it's not like I have some, you know, years of experience doing this or, you know, this, these decades of experience. Um, but I can see a lot of myself in him now. And some of that is really fun and, and neat to see, like how he's, you know, he'll do things kind of the way I do them or, or, or might say a phrase or something the way I do. But then when I see him doing things like worrying about things the way I worry about things or right. or like, you know, maybe acting, exemplifying a few more of my negative traits, it's 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 more than a little concerning. It, it rattles you. And that's enough I, to stop me having children. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and it's it's one of those things you realize that that even at this young age that my son is at, like like by roping them in or, or forcing too many of your own values upon them or, or your own traits upon them, they, they without a doubt will mirror those because that's all they know. And so that, that makes a lot of sense with what Atreus starts to do is that his actions in the, in the, in the, in the brief moment where he's acting arrogant in the game, it, you can see a lot of Kratos in there, you know, sick of worrying about the little people. He's, you know, like he's, he's, mm. 
doesn't have any concerns for the common man, all that stuff. It, it goes by very briefly. It resonates from a parenting perspective, but it also resonates just as heavily on the opposite side of that, which is like, like, man, I, Kratos is just such a bad dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. like, like I look at some of the things he's doing and the way that he talks to his son, and it kind of gives me the idiot shivers, like where I just feel like, like who, like I, I can't imagine. And I think that I'm lucky for this, but I know they exist because I, I know I have friends that, that have uh, parents like this. I, I have colleagues that have parents like this. I have uh, people, my students have parents like this, that there are parents out there that just do not care about their children. They don't care, take care of them. They don't love them. And Kratos is a pretty good personification of that in parts of this game. And the fact that I'm mystified by that only goes to reinforce that I think I'm doing the right thing most of the time. So um, mm-hmm. a little parenting side note there. But uh, but yeah, it, it does really make you view it from a different perspective. And it made me more protective of Atreus in a lot of different ways while playing too. Yeah, yeah that figures. I Hate Numbers 23 from the forum says, Some games are defined by a single moment. God of War is one of those. Your son has fallen ill. Your past cannot stay buried. Your boat guides you home. You fight off enemies on your way to the house. You grab something wrapped in cloth, something that had only appeared for a split second early on. Bear McCreary's masterful Echoes of an Old Life sells the payoff long-time fans were waiting for. The Blades of Chaos carry a weight they could never possess in the franchise's angsty past. Every frame, every animation, every texture, they all blend together into this singular moment. The the Blades of Chaos moment, uh, I know for a lot of people who were big fans of the old God of War games and were, you know, probably probably those who are happy to embrace the change of tone and direction, I think getting the Blades of Chaos back was uh, still quite a moment. Yeah. Having their absence be so long um, it they do such a good job of selling how powerful these weapons were, and they weren't just kind of glorified swords. Like these are magical weapons, and they have that kind of destructive power where they just like enemies that you could have, you know, you would have taken on one on one in the early stages of the game. Now you're just taking on an entire squadron of them and just making such light work of them. And and I think you know for for all my criticisms of um, the plot, kind of attempting to redeem Kratos, and and in my eyes at least, ultimately failing. Um, I when you know he was going to get those blades of chaos in the moment when I first played it, I was like, no, Kratos, no, what are you doing? Like these these are the these are the evil bad weapons that made you know <laughs> like so many people. So many people died um, with these with these uh, chain knives attached to your wrists. Like like they represent so much death. And yeah, I couldn't. I like like I I was also reminded of like the scene from John Wick where he's like hammering the 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 floor of his of his basement where mm. where he's buried his weapons mm. and buried his past. It's like it's a very like action movie kind of old old hero returns to the the battlefield moment but i think they sold it well mm. yeah talking about the graphics and the art and the tech so as we mentioned earlier except when starting up the game there are no loading screens or any camera cuts throughout the entire game the emailer from the forum says the game looks great emphasized by the direction and close over the shoulder camera it feels like you are intimately sharing the viewpoint of these two characters seeing the Norse world at large for the first time. 
Beforehand, I thought the no-cut thing might be a gimmick, but to be honest, I never thought about it. I think this shows how it was used to reinforce the tone. Retro Clarence uh, says, although the game is incredibly shot in one take, it tells me that games still haven't completely managed to interweave storytelling and gameplay, but it's getting there. Music. So, again, I think this is an area that caused some consternation among fans of the traditional God of War series. So we've got Bear McCreary, who is, uh, he hasn't done a load of games. Interestingly, his first ever game was Dark Void and Dark Void Zero, which uh, Dark Void Zero is entirely chip tunes. Um, so I'm interested to go back and listen to that again, knowing, huh. that, uh, knowing that that was his work. Uh, but he also worked on Assassin's Creed Syndicate, along with uh, Austin Wintry on the Jack the Ripper DLC. And the game of that uh, that MMO game tied in with the sci-fi TV series Defiance, um, but probably best known for his work on the Battlestar Galactica reboot TV series and the Walking Dead TV series as well, of course. Um, so I suppose the thing to say is it's more subtle and more moody, reflecting the change in tone of the game. But I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss those huge moments of brass and bombast that the old games had. <laughs> yeah. The the eighty person choir singing in the background. Oh, <laughs> such game. fun though! Yeah, they I were mean, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. I loved it. I love the old old stuff too. Um, yeah, it is more atmospheric, more moody, like you said. Um, and I I think it serves the purpose they were going for, but. There's definitely not not the same moments of bombast that there were in the in the previous entries in the game for sure. Yeah, but I I feel there were so many moments of visual bombast in those original games, so the the soundtrack had to match that. Whereas here, the the thing that's impressive about the game visually is the you know the close ups on Kratos's face, the mm. the character stuff. So I think in terms of using music to reflect what the the animators are doing i think it i think it is pitch perfect and there are and you know they find those moments to um include bob bass i lo- i really love the music that plays um during the dragon boss fight yeah i think some of so you know like a version of god of war if it carried on on its original path might have had music like that dragon fight at some point. So I think they're respect, you know, respecting what came before while also acknowledging that the, the focus is different now. I also think there's a real issue and I see this in films a lot where a sequel to a musical comes out or a new musical comes out even, and people say, Oh, it's got no memorable tunes. And they're comparing it with things that are completely like known and have been played to death over the previous 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 yeah, years or whatever. Yeah. So like when I haven't seen it, but Mary Poppins Returns came out, a lot of people were like, well, I don't remember any of the songs. There's nothing you're like, that's probably just because <laughs> you've just seen it and right. you've seen it once. And it, you know, you didn't have Disney time playing it on heavy rotation as a kid. And I think here maybe there's a similar thing, which is like the first time you play it, a lot of it's very subtle and kind of underpinning the action but actually if you you know probably if you go away and listen to the soundtrack or play the game through a few times you'll start to notice the more subtle you Mm -hmm. know melodies and stuff coming through i think there was a similar thing with the recent um resident evil 2 remake which is our which is our next uh, uh podcast recording as well where you could download the original music and of course it has you know spine tingling nostalgia but actually all those tunes are kind of in there but they're just done in a slightly more modern and uh, understated way with a bit more nuance rather than kind of front and center so it just takes a takes a bit of tuning your ear in i think as much as anything 
I think the Mary Poppins uh, ex- uh, analogy is actually quite apt because in the time the original God of War came out, there weren't a lot of games that had those fully orchestrated soundtracks yet. That's also like, true. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like, and in the, in the era of Mary Poppins coming out, there was, you know, maybe you saw two or three movies a year as opposed mm. to the, you know, however many hours we consume now. So, yeah, it, it would be more striking based on there just being a lack of similar things available when now, today, like, an open-world third-person action game made by a AAA studio with an orchestral soundtrack, I mean, there's one that comes out a quarter, so... Um, and so, it's yeah, just hard it's, to remember yeah. everything because, yeah. like you said, yeah, there's there's so, you know, you play a 60-hour game, even if the music comes in and out, that's a lot of stuff, you know, and, and yeah. unless, yeah. I mean, there is something to be said for the old, uh, you know, we would talk about when we cover older games, we talk about the re- repetition of loops and stuff, and it can, in certain si- situations, drive you a bit mad, but at least you remember, <laughs> at least you remember them, uh, and maybe, you know, maybe that's not always a good thing, but um but yeah, it's obviously it's going to take you longer to for your brain to kind of completely, yeah, just uh, imp- have some of these Bear McCreary pieces, which are quite, you know, quite quiet and noodly kind of impinge upon your brain. But as Josh says, they also, they ramp it up when necessary. As regards to the diegetic audio and the Foley and the sound effects, as we used to call them, Mark Hoog says, to me, God of War's sound design is its best feature. The thud of retrieving the axe in Kratos' hand is possibly the most satisfying sound I've ever heard in a game. It's pretty good. It's I'm, up there. I'm really glad that this came up because um, I, I was thinking <laughs> about something this morning. I was I was just writing down a couple notes for the show, and that thud and the, and the sound it makes, where it like the the thunk where you throw it into wood, or the mm. chink that it makes where you throw it into metal, like just kind of that that like real high pressure, high impact sound, is so mm. satisfying. And I was going to bring it up on the show, but when when we recorded the Secret of Mana podcast a couple of years oh, yeah. ago, um, I brought up the the wet thwack where you would hit an enemy, <laughs> and everybody kind of like was silent and like and, and I was I with remember, you. Yeah, you were. Yes, you were. And everybody was like, "No, I don't really going to comment on the the one sound effect." So I'm like, "Am I? Is this anybody else going to care about this?" So reading this com- correspondence makes me feel validated for uh, for that. But um, well, Josh but, yeah. and I, uh, I think Josh and I are quite similar on this. Is that these audio moments are actually some of the the most key parts of our enjoyment of video games so for me like when a game like this doesn't get the audio right it's so noticeable yeah can actually break the game for me whereas i think one of the things that probably did keep me playing as much as i did as intently as i did not setting this game aside was the thought of another battle and hearing that that cacophony yeah 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 um, and like the, just that thud moment of the axe returning um, to Kratos's hand is such a victory on multiple levels of rumble. design. There's like yep. the 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 rumble, yeah, the rumble in the controller is so good, um, and then just the animation, all of that stuff, it's so good. Um, you can I tell they what... worked on it and worked on it yeah. and worked on it. Yeah, I think that Corey Barlog said at one point that. I think it was on a, a, a another podcast. I was listening to him as a guest. He said that they didn't have that like ironed out completely finalized until like a month before the yeah. game shipped. Like they were completely. constantly retweaking the sounds, the animations, the this because just to get it just right because they knew that you'd be doing it, uh, you know, hundreds if not thousands of times. So yeah. so yeah, I mean, well, very good on them for getting that. Like in in my opinion, very very right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So on to the gameplay. We've got our axes. Uh, according to the game's director, Corey Barlog, the game is open, but not open world. It utilizes fast travel like many other open world games do, 
but it's more restricted compared to other open-ended video games. So I also want to talk about, obviously we have to talk about the actual gameplay and the the way that works. We haven't really talked yet about the way the game looks, which is probably one of the areas that it was most lavished with praise for the graphical engine, the the art design and the technical side of things. I guess what I want to say is I played this on PS4 Pro in PS4 Pro resolutions, whatever that is on this particular game, probably not actual 4K. It might be 4K, but I think there's I think it has settings on Pro so you can either have have it favor frame rate or pixels or optimize or something like that. Uh it was honestly a really fine looking game, but I was slightly taken aback by some of the levels of praise and I'm not sure what it was that my brain was comparing it to because if you said, name me a better looking game, I might, you know, I might (laughs) struggle, probably say Red Dead Redemption 2 or whatever, but um, I thought it was a smashing looking game overall, but there were only a few scenes where it really blew me away and the one that I meant, I think I mentioned this on another podcast at some point, but it's the map room for me in this game in yeah. in high res hdr that room is just one of the most eye poppingly eye meltingly things gorgeous things i've I, I can remember looking at but the yeah. rest of the game like the scenery's cool and it's it it looks lovely it looks high tech and it looks expensive but it wasn't one of those games that had me kind of constantly you know, just stopping and looking at the scenery or anything like that, like maybe um, Uncharted 4 or something like that. So, yeah, I thought it was, you know, tremendous, obviously high-end and and worked on by deeply talented people. But for whatever reason, it didn't quite give me the that sort of overwhelming sense of, oh, my goodness, that some games do. But I feel slightly out of step with that. I think for me, I tend to agree with what you're saying, Leon. Um, I, I think for me, the the visual elements that ended up impressing me was less the the level of like detail on screen or just the color composition, all that stuff. It was more just the camera work and the animation mm. and the character's relationship with the camera. So, like um, in fights, for example when kratos goes in for that finishing blow where he like he does a full overhand swing with the oh, axe yeah. and just like splits an enemy in two i just love how the camera just zooms all the way in to give you like a close up intimate kind of view of that sequence and just the power that they convey um with kratos like everything looks like an effort even though he's meant to be superhuman right and surely if somebody can lift mountains swinging an axe is nothing but Mm. for the sake of just like selling it i like that they just make it feel like yes just slam it in there's loads of like what um daniel floyd on his uh on his animation channel talks a lot about the importance of anticipation frames in animation and there's always like a long build-up before the impact which really sells it so that's the stuff that really impressed me was just the way it conveyed action and movement in those battle sequences and i think um the real skill there is to keep that heft and weight without break and the, the you know things like it takes a long time to land that act without frustrating the player and making the game yeah. feel stodgy that's a real art 
I think what I liked about the combat in this game especially was that it didn't feel quite like anything else in the genre that I played before. They managed to kind of marry up some of the the strong elements of things like the over-the-shoulder sort of immediacy and impact of Resident Evil 4 with some of the spectacle and flair of the Japanese character action games without it really feeling like a compromise. It did feel like its own thing and it all played in, I think it all played in very well with the skill tree and the RPG elements. And it just all felt, I understand there's a lot of criticism for this game being a bit of a jack of all trades in some ways and having just basically bringing in, I think this is yeah part of the Matthew Matosis criticism is that it's just all of the tropes, all of the, all of the elements of, modern popular video games that yeah. are popular mushed together yeah. in one game yep. but for me like i don't think maybe for me the game isn't a masterpiece like i never felt like it was a game that nailed everything but it also for me didn't really get anything wrong like yeah in terms of how much fun i was having playing it i was always keen on instigating the next battle and really yeah. that's that's kind of what you're there for. Get some more XP, find some more loot and hack some more stuff up. And I, as much as I enjoyed the older games in this series, they definitely had their frustrations and their, I think their limits in terms of how, um, how visceral the combat felt in those games. It always felt a bit papery some to me. Whereas in this game, although maybe it's the more pensive, thoughtful, introspective God of War, actually the, the combat felt, to me, more solid and brutal than ever. Yeah, I I agree completely. Um, they the I I think they really gave the character uh, the player a lot of different avenues in which to address combat. Like I found myself in this recent playthrough really using the axe throw and and staying a little bit farther behind at the start of fights and 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 equipping you know runic um attacks and different enchantments to my weapons that that more favored the style of like some ranged play. And I, I found it very, very uh, fascinating. But then I also would have a couple pieces of armor and, and builds where have would have enchantments in it already set up for real close combats, shield combat and barehanded combat. And right. I, I'm someone when I play action games, I don't I don't think of the nuances of combat that much normally. Like, I, I'm not I'm normally the guy who finds the sword that he likes and just sticks with it. You know, that's yeah. that's kind of how I, I play. I think that's a lot of people, to be yeah. honest. Like, there's way more of those kind of folks, and yeah. you know, I include myself among them. Than there are people who want to min max every element of right. the the combat mechanics. Yeah, I found myself wanting to do that a little bit more from God of War um, than I had in other games, and I think I just found it uh, really interesting because because the combat is, is so tied to your gear and to your to your runes that you use for the special attacks. Um, because you can have special attacks that are that are purely passives that will you know just create a field where you do more power and then maybe maybe spawn like a like a health stone and then you can have some which you know summon ice shards out of the ground and like you can really build a character to play whatever style you want and I as someone who is definitely more not as hardcore of an action game player it suited very much to to what I like so um I yeah. like you Leon I was always looking forward to the next fight and always looking for something new to fight and then if i'd come across a, an enemy that was a little bit higher level than me i liked being able to strategize and decide hey can i take this one out now how yeah. would i do it and and it sure. really allowed you to do that i think effectively yeah i think i think the changes here even that like i can point to like dark souls for example like the r1 r2 hey. Uh, positioning of the uh, uh, positioning of the the combat buttons is clearly borrowed from there, 
but this game has with the individual weapons that it has the the uh, blades of chaos and and the leviathan axe there's so much more depth to be mined from those weapons than any weapon in in dark souls and it ends up as you, as you said earlier on leon ending it ends up feeling like its own kind of unique thing um whereas with the original god of wars like it's so easy to go it's like devil may cry light mm -hmm. like it's so easy mm -hmm. to make that negative comparison whereas here i don't think it's i still don't think this game is as complicated as something like a bayonetta oh, when no. it gets to to high end play but because it's novel and because it's kind of carving out its own space now, literally, um, I, I <laughs> yeah, um, I can I can be more forgiving and and I can be more on board for that that style of play. I think again, going back to the because it's a skill tree based game, it's got these huge RPG elements. I don't think really you kind of you're not necessarily aware of just how kind of intricate. As you say, like that, you're never going to have to learn the same sort of uh, extended button presses and timings as you are on something like a platinum games job. But uh, but by the time you are in the late game and you've got everything at your disposal, there is you can string things together in in both a a, a way which is satisfying to your uh, to visually and also to your gameplay brain mm -hmm. yeah i i do think your point of using the leviathan x uh josh uh i i did that too but i also really liked how it uh let me it like forced me to be a little bit more up close and personal with the enemies um because the range of the blades of chaos allow you to kind of you know kind of do mass damage kind of around you in a circle a little bit and and to kind of keep everybody at bay but particular during the boss fights whether it's fighting the dragon or fighting thor's sons uh modi and um and the other one, the other ones all <laughs> yeah, start with M. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, uh, the starts with them. Uh, I put my axe right into his face yesterday. I can't remember his mm -hmm. name. Um, yeah. And and then and then the and then the fight with Balder at the end, like like those fights to me, like I really liked being up close to those characters and fighting because it felt it made it feel more personal. I know that that's strictly a me thing. That's me like making my own narrative out of the game, but like yeah. it felt more like a duel, more like a like a like a close quarters combat than the Blades of Chaos, where it felt like I really was just kind of, you know, shooting fire and chain around me. Both very cool, but I felt a little bit more controlled to Leviathan X, so it had to be a little bit more deliberate with what I was doing. And and I, and it, in any, the only area where you have to use the Blades of Chaos is in Hell, because they're all made of frost and whatever. Yeah. Um, but in any other instance, I was definitely choosing the Leviathan X over, over the, the Blades. The emailer from the forum says, the limited open world works for me. I was surprised to love this. The game is not massive open world, but hub and spoke or connected linear paths. I like this limitation. The open world feels very curated, enabling the design of well-built and thrilling levels with paced combat, puzzling and story. It's a world away from the approach of a large map filled with many things to collect for collecting's sake. A smaller number of side quests and side characters than other open world games makes each feel important. I, I am much bigger fan of these kind of smaller open uh areas rather than like a full-on uh massive open world just because the density of um things to do tends to be higher even mm -hmm. if the space is smaller yep. 
I do have an issue with the way it locks off content sometimes. So th- this game structure reminds me a lot of Arkham Asylum and uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. the twenty thirteen um, the twenty thirteen Tomb Raider. Um, mm. But the way those games handle locking off content is through items that radically change your mobility. So, for example. Um, uh, Batman will unlock uh, a grappling hook that uh, what what's it called the the one where he it fires a line across the line the, launcher the line launcher <laughs> it's such a simple name and yet I forgot it all the same I'm I'm playing um, Arkham Knight right now so that's why I know that <laughs> um, yeah like uh, the line launcher and it's it's not just a key that opens a door. Um, it can be used in combat. It can be used in multiple different scenarios, while also, um, you know, unlocking other areas in the game. Um, Tomb Raider is the same way. It has like rope arrows where you can get across uh, ravines or yeah. what have you that you couldn't do before. But also, the rope arrow can be used in multiple different scenarios. Whereas in God of War, it feels like a lot of the keys that you unlock only unlock those doors um there there are exceptions um there are a couple of like trick arrows that you can unlock for a for atreus that can have effects in combat um but like i'm thinking specifically of the like the the stone dagger he gets where he just slams it into the the wall at certain points and that's the only use it has Mm. it's just to open that specific lock um, and I hope going into the sequel that they'll look to um, those games playing in a similar space and and try and make those upgrades um, impact more than just the door that you need to unlock. A bit more interesting, yeah. I suppose one thing we haven't really talked about or addressed is what difficulty levels we were playing on and is any of us in a position to say whether the... The game is balanced well, or, or the combat is robust enough to play it on a higher level. So I suspect if uh, if Jay had been with us, my my understanding of the way he always plays games is he always starts on whatever the lowest difficulty is. He wants to experience the story with as little resistance as possible. So there is a give me a story option. I certainly played on the give me a balanced experienced difficulty, but there are two more beyond that. Give me a challenge and give me God of War. Uh, did it, did either of you play it on a level that wasn't the default one? I'm oh. I'm playing my current playthrough on Give Me a Challenge just okay. out of curiosity, and yeah. I don't see, and it's and certainly it's certainly not a get good situation. It doesn't seem to be much different than the uh, initial um, difficulty, although mm. it has been two years removed now. So um, a sense might have just got know, better. Yeah, I'm sure You've that's got it. good yeah. without yeah, without yeah, trying. As, that's what happens, right? You get older and your reflexes get better and you get sure. better yeah, <laughs> better at seeing things on screens. Absolutely. Um, no, it seems, it's definitely challenging in certain spots, but I do think if I'm, and this is, it's, I haven't done hard comparisons, I haven't loaded my old save, but it feels to me that's like enemy levels are rising just a little bit quicker, so you're forced to kind of grind out the materials and upgrade your gear and stuff. And um, But yeah, yeah um, it, it, it gives you a chance, you can change it back down at any point. So oh, yeah. that's kind of nice um, for accessibility purposes. If I ever hit a wall, you know, I'm not, you know, don't have to start over. I can just drop it down. What I find myself wondering, and obviously the, the dichotomy is that you've got hundreds of games you want to play and get through. And there's always that thing about playing it on the optimal difficulty level, 
for 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 each individual person and everyone's is is like you know there's there's four to choose from but mine might be slightly different to yours or yours might be different from mine and i might there's always that nagging feeling with a game with multiple difficulty settings that i might be giving myself my non-optimal experience without um you know unwittingly and obviously a lot of modern games like god of war allow you to change it on the fly kind of thing but there you know there may potentially be greater rewards from playing it on a higher setting or there might be more frustrations and it's hard to say but i do know that i i did take on some of the i certainly haven't cleared them all and that was the thing that if i had carried on playing i would have done was the valkyries so these are optional kind of arena fights with creatures that very much are specifically designed to test out the limits of your combat knowledge and your breadth of knowledge and your abilities Mm. to execute in those situations i don't know who have either of you done the majority of them or even all of them i i couldn't do all of them um they 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 escalate to a point where the only the truly dedicated uh, and like they just get really 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 challenging and 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 i i think they're really fun and i think they do some clever things with those valkyrie fights um i I would never like i think they're well-designed fights it's just it for me it kind of pushed the limit of my enjoyment with uh engaging with the combat Mm -hmm. and uh i think ultimately i enjoy the game more when i'm dealing with crowds of lesser Same. enemies yeah um uh yeah. than these these challenging boss fights but um yeah i think they're good for those who those of you listening who who want to challenge some people will get a kick out of it and what are the are the rewards worth it um you can get different um sets of armor um from that uh, although but i don't you'll know never who, need again oh you'd never fight well, yeah exactly who you'd ever fight with it um and you'd get you get some rarer materials um from them i've done on my first playthrough, I think I I did three or four. I want to say there's a there's eleven. I want to say I can't. I could be wrong in that. I apologize. Or twelve. Um, yeah, I I went. So I remember I when I got the third or fourth one, whatever one I got, got hit a wall on. Um, I I googled you know kind of some help for it, and it said, well, you're gonna want to use this set of armor with this enchantment, and you got to level this. And I was kind of like, you know what? That sounds like a lot of fun for people who are into doing that type of stuff. But it wasn't Precisely. quite what was for me at the time. Yeah, good that it's in there, but not for any of us particularly. Uh, Toon Scottoon, talking about those more cinematic engagements, says, I find button cues in battles, especially in the very visceral battles with Baldur, particularly immersion-breaking. Also, although the hub world showcases so much of how brilliant the art direction in this game is, it made me feel like each realm was cordoned off more than I would have preferred. Electric Crocosaurus says, The word that comes to mind for God of War is chunky. Everything in this game has weight and heft. You feel the inertia of Kratos' mass before he moves, sense the impact of his many, many axe throws. When they finally appear, even the blades of chaos seem to carve the flesh of enemies rather than floating through them, as in previous God of Wars. That speaks again. We've just recorded our Red Dead Redemption 2 podcast. One of the maybe slight excuses or apologies i would make for the movement of the character in that game arthur you spend a lot of time with him kind of lumbering about he can get a bit of a speed a a sprint up um and obviously yes kratos is a god of war and whatever else um but is i think i partly yeah made excuses for red dead's slightly cumbersome walking and 
movement because it's this big guy but actually does kratos in this game show that you can have a big kind of lumbering fellow who has weight without it actually impacting the responsiveness of the character and the ability to control him yeah i i think that they do a pretty good job at, at doing both things um i do like how especially like when kratos is just walking like he, everything he does seems to be like with this purpose maniacal or otherwise you know just a very just like 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 just plodding forward, always just kind of progressing. And then when you get in combat, there is a lot of weight to the extras. But if you want to if you want to sprint, if you click that left stick in and then do the running, like jumping attacks like he is, he also has some pretty spry movement, too. So I think it does a good job at balancing the two. Mm. Um, but it does that that word weight. We use it a lot when it comes to combat, especially melee combat games. This game definitely has all of that. And I think that I think that that's as much to to to. Um, complement the game design as well as the design of the controls and the rumble like it all all three of those things mix together in such a nice yeah, way yeah. audio design the rumble design the way the character moves it, it all just feels like it belongs together so yeah it, it speaks to multiple different departments and schools of thought really working together in sync i think like it feels like it doesn't feel like any part of this game was made in a different room with different people even though like logically definitely of course it of course it is (laughs) but like creating that illusion of like yeah everyone was kind of in the same room Mm -hmm. like thinking the same thing i think that that is a triumph and it's worth kind of highlighting the emailer says as somebody who bounced off the previous games combat i was surprised by how much i got into this it didn't feel like hack and slash button mashing but more about awareness of threats and choosing the right tools. The chaos around Kratos contrasts with the slow and deliberate feel of the weapons. I really like fighting non-boss creatures, which shows how well the basic combat is built. One of the things that I was reminded of in researching this podcast that I did enjoy very much is the when you retrieve your axe, if you just stand motionless, it will just come back to you in a straight line. But you can pretty much, in fact, it, very much behooves you to do this which is to sidestep as you recall your axe such that it returns to you via the heads of multiple (laughs) enemies and uh, damages and staggers them a bit further and it also just looks even cooler tibble and bits a new contributor i believe from the forum says while i do love god of war 2018 I think one key area it falters in is arguably the area that it has been most important throughout the entire series, the quality of the combat. The earlier God of Wars struggled to balance the needs of the player when they pulled out the camera to focus on sometimes overwrought spectacle. The camera in the earlier games was also fixed, meaning the player was always at the whims of the designers. The 2018 game literally does the opposite with a movable camera that is focused extremely close behind Kratos at all times in a clear attempt to put you in the shoes of the character. Sandals, I suppose. To feel every blow of his axe and to get a sense of his thoughts and feelings. While I understand the intent of Corey Barlog and his team, I can't help but feel that, like the opposite camera issue in the earlier games, this choice to focus the camera in so closely on Kratos hinders the otherwise fantastic combat more than it helps it. I have a feeling the designers understood their camera choice had its drawbacks because they had implemented large incoming attack warning arrows on screen behind Kratos to make up for the, in my opinion, far too limited view of the playing field. Aesthetically, these arrows stick out like a sore thumb in a game that wants you as immersed in its world as possible. 
and keep the game from reaching the upper echelons of the hack-and-slash character action genre, for lack of a better phrase. I became less forgiving of the camera direction after I played Devil May Cry 5, a game that lets you toggle camera distance from your character in the options menu. It's an amazing feature that I wish all action games could implement. I feel like there has to be a way for a God of War sequel to implement such an option while maintaining the non-cutting camera that makes cinematic sequences in the game stand head and shoulders above most of its peers. Such a feature may be difficult to implement, but I sincerely hope that, in the future, Sony Santa Monica can find the ideal balance between stellar design direction while better encouraging player expression. I don't mean to uh, rain on Tibble and Bits's parade here, um, but I think that with the overwhelming success of God of War, um, that we're not going to see much of a deviation from the past system as little as possible. I would think for the next probably one, probably true. Yeah, I mean it, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be one of those things where I mean this this is going to be, and I think and well deserved the praise has gotten. I I I I really love this game, but. Um, like if anything, this is going to the success of this game, both critically and financially, is going to reinforce the decisions they made, and in fact, might even get them to double down more on some of the features that he or she describes here as maybe not being the ones they liked so much. So hmm. um, I, I could be wrong. Obviously, I mean they could they they've, they've changed course before, but you could definitely see another couple of games at least in this style of God of War. Yeah, yeah. It feels to me like one of those games where even for people who don't necessarily love everything about it it's other than more of the same with you know with slight changes and obviously change of setting and new story and stuff it's hard to imagine what more they could put in because it's pretty kind of it's got it's got a bit of everything in there yeah uh obviously with something like you know the jump from batman arkham asylum to city even if a lot of people still prefer the tighter original it made sense to go to the city yeah. from the asylum but here, other than just more of it, uh, it's it's hard to know. I guess just different enemies, different combat moves, boat racing, armor. boat racing mini games, boat racing you know, mini games. archery contests. You know, mm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, sorry to force a, just because I was thinking of things that would change, and I, this is kind of forcing us in the uh, next topic of conversation, which is like the relics and artifacts that you can oh, collect do, through yeah. through the game. Um, I think the the sequel might benefit from kind of cutting down on some of this Less stuff. Uh, yeah, because um, I like I like all of the um the different special abilities that the the Leviathan Axe and the Blades of Chaos get as you explore and and defeat bosses. That stuff is great, but the micro percentage different attachments that you can apply to armor and and the weapons. Yeah. Um, I hate spending that much time in menus comparing the small differences in percentages mm. and advantages. Some people love I, it, though. <laughs> I know. I'm I know, one of those people. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I want every. For me personally, I would prefer it if every single thing that you find is meaningfully different mm. so that mm, yep. maybe, for example, it's an upgrade that you can attach to the Leviathan Axe that freezes bigger enemies for a little bit every time you strike. Um, just something that actually changes the rhythm of flow of play yeah. rather than just it does more damage. It It adds slow on every enemy or... Something like that. I, I, 
I and and have less of it, like less of those items overall, mm. so that I'm not constantly in menus. I like having RPG elements, but not if I'm gonna just not if the 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 difference between the items is very minuscule i had this exact same conversation with james about another game more recently but i can't remember which one it was but very similar that yeah. actually that and 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 this time rather than brian it was leah saying this was this was a conversation on yeah. a slack channel basically saying you know that stuff for me is the game like m- you know micromanaging stuff is where you know some brains get so much of their pleasure from whereas yeah. other people are like i can't be but for me it's kind of a, a base you know case-to-case basis like some genres it, it works really well in i think and others i suppose the thing here is you've got four difficulty levels and actually you don't to, to play it on the probably the lowest two you don't even need to worry about that stuff too much if you don't want to yeah it's one of those things where they really did go full rpg and they didn't just add an xp bar you know which is a, what a lot of people say it has our uh, rpg mechanics so it has experience points like not only they had it had weapons with weapon attachments, and those attachments had different effects, and those effects had percentages. And then even Kratos' XP had, you know, strength, runic, cooldown. I mean, like, a lot of things, mm. they, they threw a lot at this to make it, you know, more of an action RPG, um, which I particularly liked, like that. Like, I was one of the people who, when they when they, when they went from Fallout 3 to Fallout 4 and they took out individual points into individual stats, I was like, how am I supposed to build my character? You know, um, but... That I could definitely see turning people off, particularly people that had experience loving the God of War franchise the way it was. So it really was a a, a bold turn for them to add all that. I would not be surprised at all to see them dial a little bit of that back, you know, to maybe making it more what Josh was explaining. And, and frankly, it, it might it might serve the actual game and its purpose a little bit better. There might be a, a cane of rinse conversational to be had about around the topic of this behind the patreon paywall of uh are all games now genre mashups like <laughs> is there is there is there a game are there any genuinely pure games obviously it's what happens over time with with evolution and stuff but um even playing recently a game like xeno crisis which is a game that has been made to run on the mega drive but they've also ported to current gen systems so you've got a top-down 16-bit a literal 16-bit arcade shooter but even there they've managed to put in some rpg elements and some roguelike elements and things like that and it's sort of um but this game god of war 2018 as as we've sort of already alluded to it does feel like it wants to be all of the genres (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like mm. and it kind of is but for yeah for good or ill uh but i suppose increasingly would it be fair to say that triple a games mainstream kind of high profile games yeah have all got I've... some of that about them yeah Every, everything's an rpg now yeah. everything <laughs> um whether it's an open world game or an action game for forza whatever. horizon is an rpg you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. it's just like it has has all gone that way. Um, for again, yeah. for some people's better or worse, but yeah, there's yeah. always that that sense of progression. Now you hear everybody talk about, oh, these games. What's the progression like in this game? And mm. every ever all anybody's referring to when they say that is what type of RPG system has this implemented <laughs> to make to make the numbers go higher to make sure. your brain feel good, which yeah. I like. I'm not arguing against oh, it. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah I'm certainly like not it. immune yeah. to it. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. But yeah. although they're all like that. There may be questions about, you know, the insidious nature of that. I don't know. Yes. Yes, there are. (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, yeah, so other than that, um, on that subject of uh, this is the stuff that I remember doing in the game, relics and artifacts and, and the lost pages of Norse myth, basically the map hoovering, the searching, the, the seeking out for trinkets and rewards and those little things that set your endorphins off. Um, I don't, it's that thing where at the time I found it compelling, very compelling to continue doing that and harvesting. Um, but now I'm trying to think back. I don't actually remember what it entailed. I remember kind of getting in the boat and hopping out island to island and jaunting off and kicking some people in. There were various <laughs> kind of puzzly based uh, things like hitting runic um, symbols with a with the, your axe in a certain order to unlock yeah. cages and stuff like this. Yeah. And, um, Basically, I'm, all of your all of your health and and um, rage upgrades are hidden behind those chests where you have to kind of puzzle out where the runes right. are to hit with your axe. Basically, it's all about hitting stuff just in certain orders. Yeah, uh, and what about the other sort of elements of yeah looting and collectibles and stuff? Was it? you've been back to it most recently yeah brian they had is it, does it work the second time around or do you find it now a bit of a trudge no i think it works um they have the it very it's very assassin's creed and actually uh red dead um similar to they had the, the treasure map system where it's just basically a loose sketch of where it is in the world and you know so then it, it'll show like a, yes. an x next to like a fallen down statue and then you know an hour later you'll come across that place and if you go to the right area a button prompt but it's you know it's just it's just you know treasure hunting type stuff um the the puzzles i think are are like if you were to compare it to some of the older god of war games like um some of the some of god of war one specifically i remember had some pretty in-depth intricate puzzles that you had to solve and a lot of these ones are more just moving blocks to the right space is much more about the combat and about the, the character interaction than anything else. So, um, yeah, it, it, they were, I, I have certainly engaged with all of them happily my second time through. So good stuff. Further reading. I don't remember this, but apparently God of war, a call from the wilds was a text-based game playable through Facebook messenger. I had no idea further... that existed. <laughs> to yeah, help... neither did I. To Facebook further... Messenger? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I know, right? To help further promote God of War, Sony partnered with Facebook to develop the play-by-web game, which was released on February 1st, 2018. Completing the game unlocks downloadable concept art, everybody's favourite. The short story follows Atreus on his first adventure in the Norse wilds. After archery training and learning runes with his mother, Atreus ventures into the wilderness after telepathically hearing the voice of a dying deer. He finds it covered in blood and stays with it during its final moments. A couple of drogs appear, and is that how you say that? And Atreus attempts to fight them, but is injured. He is saved by his father, Kratos, who is out hunting. The two then battle a revenant before returning home. <laughs> yeah, that's um, very interesting. I don't know how you even, I guess you just search God of War or Call from the Wilds and see what happens. More interestingly, I suspect, is the novelization. Official, most interesting things about this to me, it's written by Corey Barlog's dad, James M. Barlog, uh, released on August 28, 2018 by Titan. And, of course, there's an audiobook version, which is narrated by Alastair Duncan, who voices Mimir in the game. That sounds like a nice thing to have. If the book's any good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sounds nepotistic uh, I'm guessing that James M. Barlog was already an author but uh, nice that dad and boy collaborated on the dad and boy ah, game ah yes <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Okay, so we've got some more uh, sort of uh, holistic feedback and criticism from the forum here, starting from the most negative and working our way to the most positive. But uh, any talking points that come off of this, uh, we can still indulge. This is an email from Jamek who says, This is the game I am furthest from the consensus on and that broke my interest in ever finishing a game I don't like. For me, it's a constant parade of one, hitting puzzles I couldn't solve without unlocking more powers. Two, fighting the camera with, and the weird mix of slow movement and deep combo system. Three, listening to deeply repetitive dialogue. How much do we need to foreshadow Atreus' heel turn? Four, watching men be violent and evil while simultaneously being told, oh, it's not his fault, it's his upbringing, he's trying. <laughs> Five, realising every woman is just motivation for a man, Athena's manipulation, mom's death, Freya's overprotection. I loathe this game. I <laughs> uh, disagree with a lot of what she said, but um, I also think that coming to the point where you're not going to finish a game you don't like is a very healthy thing to do. So I applaud, I applaud J-Mech for that because I think that's, um, that's a tough thing to come to, especially when you get to a point and you're paying money for a game, you feel like you got to finish everything through. But if you're, if you're not having fun at all and you can't find it rewarding, then I, I good on you for, for stepping back. Too right. And that, yeah. unfortunately, I suspect, I although I don't know about every single Forumite who's corresponded and contributed to the show, that is possibly our one and only female perspective on god of war which is obviously you know quite a male heavy game although absolutely you know, there, are, there are female characters i don't know if leah if she had been on this show uh, would have felt the same way about those uh, issues regarding masculinity and femininity and as depicted in the game um i was possibly oblivious to that reading of the the women are only in in i, I mean yeah it's probably true when you think about it um yeah. and i probably just my my lazy not quite as uh lefty brain as i'd like it to be just probably thought well it's that kind of a game <laughs> so you know like i i think also you're comparing it to what came before and frankly it is an improvement <laughs> that's what i was just about um, to say even yeah. if, does that give yeah. it a pass though to be if that's no if that's, no i mean I it's know. still worthy yeah. of criticism sure. but i think as long as people are on the path you kind of give them a Maybe a little so. bit more leeway. Yeah, it's easy for us yeah. maybe as uh, true hetero white men to go, ah, it's just, just guys being guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, but no, absolutely great to have that take. Uh, as I say, for, Mark, for by far the most negative we received. But uh, Stanshall uh, also contributes with, to me, God of War is the Oscar fodder of the medium, a ponderous, overly earnest drudge. Repetitive dialogue, inane, incongruous puzzles, and constant walk-and-talk sections while the next corridor or combat arena loads. There are some astonishing set pieces from a graphical point of view, and the deliberate combat does have a powerful sense of weight to it, but so much of the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay saps my enthusiasm to continue. It feels to me like an attempt to ape the narrative dynamic and pacing of The Last of Us, but it's far too slow and far too reverent of its brow-beating protagonist to capture my imagination. I think that's how our James felt. I think that that would, without wanting to speak too much for him, um, you know, I did speak to him about this game, and that was the sense I got. I never felt that it was being reverent of Kratos. I guess mm. I just, I didn't get that um, sure. that perspective. Um, I always thought it was, I mean, 
they're certainly not holding him accountable for his past actions. But reverent, I didn't, I wouldn't describe it as that. But mm. as an inter- interesting perspective, I hadn't thought about it from that from that perspective. So um, that's that's good to hear. Bailey Boy says. God of War 2018 has almost everything you could possibly want in a game. Incredible visuals, fun action gameplay, environments stuffed with collectibles, deep RPG mechanics, and a surprisingly well-told story. However, whatever you enjoy most about gaming, chances are it's represented here in some form. For me, though, this creates a problem. Playing through it, I couldn't help but feel a metagame of Tug of War. The game's component parts are all good in isolation, but have differing priorities that don't mesh pulling against each other to make the game somehow less than the sum of its parts. The game's RPG levelling system has enough complexity for a satisfying number crunching, but undermines any attempt at creating a balanced combat system by creating artificial difficulty spikes. Each encounter's difficulty depends too heavily on the number above the enemy's head, not your skill as a player. Why waste time beating your head against a tricky foe when you can come back in an hour or two and wipe the floor with it? It also creates something of a reverse difficulty curve, especially if you're going out of your way to complete the numerous side quests. All of the game's climactic encounters were comically easy for my overpowered Kratos, chaining runic attacks back to back whilst I sat almost passively as enemy health bars melted away. You could argue that this is the point of good RPG systems, and generally I would agree, but it just doesn't fit here. Mechanically, the combat system is excellent, but I would have much preferred a more developer-curated difficulty level that demanded more of me as a player than my current level and gear setup. It's also a layer of abstraction that feeds into the overall feel of gaminess of God of War that detracts from its attempts at storytelling. The game is well acted and scripted, but its world feels like a playground littered with chests, glowing item pickups and built around abilities that only the player possesses. Many contemporary games that attempt to tell the similarly emotionally charged tales use more natural feeling environments that give context to the plot and clever tricks like diegetic menus to immerse the player. God of War's incredibly filmic presentation feels at odds with its more gamey elements and keeps me from fully investing. The game also includes elements of Metroidvania style progression but doesn't fully commit. The best games in this genre give you power-ups that recontextualize its spaces Think Metroid Prime's grapple that allows you to zip through previous areas and opening shortcuts to others. God of War's power-ups are just a series of locks and keys. Finding Mm. all the game's secrets means traversing the same areas in exactly the same way multiple times because you can now arbitrarily open that previously locked chest. You may as well wait until the very end of the game before attempting any of this to avoid needless repetition and disappointing dead ends to your exploration. A single contiguous space would have allowed for a more satisfying version of this system, but its ambitious multi-realm spanning plot progression didn't allow for it. All that being said, there is a lot to like here, and I did enjoy my time with the game overall. I just couldn't escape the feeling I was playing multiple games at the same time, that never fully synchronised. God of War 2018 wants to have its cake and eat it, and then steal everybody else's topping too. Lots of uh, stuff that spoke to things Josh was saying about the locks and the keys. Um, And I suppose what you were saying, Brian, about feeling like you wanted to tackle combat scenarios that you may have been underleveled for. And I suppose that's a key thing. Yeah. If you feel that motivation to attempt to take on a higher level enemy, but then obviously what, uh, what our correspondent Bailey Boy here just decided fairly early on was well i'm not going to bother because i know i can come back 
harder. Mm. We got a nice one to finish. Senor B123 says, I don't feel anything. I don't feel that anything handles pacing better than this game. It flows so seamlessly from exploration to action to cutscenes. Every enemy encounter felt well balanced. Even on the hardest difficulty level, I felt like I was in control and any death was due to a mistake on my part. The controls were as smooth as butter and the more I played the game, the more I began to feel like the God of War. Kratos responded to every button press almost immediately and boy, it followed every order given just as quickly. God of War was just so much fun to play. The story and characters were also compelling. I couldn't wait to see what would happen next, who we would meet next. I received this game as a birthday present from my brother, and it quickly became my favourite birthday gift ever, and one of my favourite games of all time. How lovely. We've also got the game distilled. Another epic cut down to just three little words. Alex79UK says, Kratos is back. Pecan Pie says, watch your tone. Danny Spiteri says, brutal yet beautiful. Alex Gaillard says, that's my boy, or that's my boy. Porg of Prophecy says, very acceptable sequel. <laughs> you really sold that pun there. <laughs> Ashton Herman says, compelling formula change. David Giza says, unrepentant monster reforms? <laughs> Robert Farley says, flying longboat. I think longboat's all one word, but we'll let it go. David <laughs> Tibble says, dad of boy. Austin Bennett says, parenting ain't easy. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> and Eric Jones says, ending the cycle. Yeah, we had quite a few other dad boy sort of variants, um, but we didn't include them all. But thank you anyway. All the same. Twitter followers. And so it just remains for us to summarize. I'll go first as my memories are the vaguest, but I still have, yeah, I mean, refreshing my memory for this show. A lot of it came flooding back, but I suppose the fact that there have been some games that we've covered from decades ago that I felt more clear on than uh, this one from a couple of years ago does suggest that um, my take on it at the time was that uh, I wasn't quite as effusive in my praise of it as a lot of the reviews. Uh, normally I find, and regular listeners will attest to this, my view of things is quite often close to the critical consensus. And for whatever reason, my opinion gels with that of professional reviewers. I don't know why it's always been the case. Um, and sometimes as with, you know, you get these cases where there's a complete disparity between how the critics felt and how the punters felt about things. Happens in all media, we should say. Um, but I, I was on the same track with them but i wasn't just quite in that realm or echelon for me this was like a really really solid well made well put together thoroughly enjoyable game that i played from start to finish and a bit beyond in a couple of weeks or more and it was i just thought it was all round excellent i didn't uh, it didn't affect me emotionally really at all i didn't have any strength of conviction about the characterization or the relationship of Atreus and Kratos, which is obviously a kind of a key element for a lot of people. And so for me, what I was left with was a a big old AAA high budget genre mishmash. Um, and for me, it was successful in that respect, in that it was every element of it. I enjoyed the role playing elements, the combat elements, the exploration elements. It was a lot of fun. It was a good time. 
um, even if I didn't think the graphics were quite the sort of the ultra god tier level, I thought it was you know it was a very nice game to look at with occasionally astounding moments. And yeah, it was just a thoroughly good time that I've felt no real pull to revisit, probably until we recorded this show. I'm now just getting that thing where I'm starting to think, hey, there was a bit more I could do with this game. If only I had the time to do it. Uh, but now the game is available affordably, inexpensively, compared to its launch price. Certainly anyone who's got a PS4, and particularly a PS4 Pro, I would absolutely recommend checking it out and adding it to your kind of PS4 collection. It's uh, obviously an exclusive. It's going to remain so. It's kind of one that should be uh, should be explored and entertained, stuck on the shelf, if nothing else. Even if it doesn't change your life, I suspect there'll be enough there for you to have a good time with it. Josh? At some point during this this recording, I said I hate constantly comparing um, games to other games and then just continued to constantly compare <laughs> God of War to other games. Um, but I feel like that actually really effectively illustrates my feelings on God of War. It's a collection of ideas and concepts that I think are really well executed and I enjoyed very, very much, but ultimately preferred in the games that they originated. Um, I think the one exception to that is the combat. I think the combat is really superb, really high-quality system that doesn't dip into the depth of stuff like Platinum, but is its own thing and... Uh, is original in a lot of key ways, and I think the Leviathan Axe is just one of my favourite weapons in a game um, ever. But everything else is just kind of on that line of good rather than great for me. And I'm left really excited for a sequel. I think there's lots of room for growth and um, exciting avenues for this series to explore now that were just completely closed off in the the old way of doing things. So yeah, I'm I'm anticipating whatever's next for this studio and this series. But this game didn't quite grab my heart in the way it did for a lot of people out there. Hmm, similar to to one another, you and I. I'm pretty sure then that I was right to leave Brian to last. So I think. Uh... You probably have the the strongest feelings for God of War. I would I would say out of the hearing your descriptions probably, but I don't disagree with anything that uh, you guys said. Um, I think that it did, as Josh so aptly put it, uh, pulled the right things from different games. Um, and and you, you, Josh said he liked the way the other games did them more, and I and I and I would agree with that. Uh, the thing that I I really that that gives me the most positive feeling about this game is how far they've come. I'm thinking back to JMEC's comments um, earlier, and mm. all of her comments were were apt and 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 valid criticisms of this game. And this game still has a lot of issues. This game still has a lot of issues with how it portrays women, with how it portrays Kratos, with how it portrays violence, and how it glorifies certain aspects of the character. Um, but I think that this game is them taking a very very good first step towards aside from just leaving this franchise in the dust and doing something different they're taking a, pretty much the only positive step they could take to moving this game forward into more modern games i think that it was an incredibly bold choice to not just make something that they had made before not make something comfortable and i 
really fell in love with the Norse mythology aspect of it. I fell I fell in love with the Norse mythology aspect of it so much to where after completing the game for the first time, I went out and got Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology book to read it because um, oh, cool. because I was really interested in, in the in the content. Um, I think they've done enough things to make Kratos a more interesting, relatable character while still not someone I think should be revered at all, but to make him someone that I care about to where I'm really looking forward to what they do with the next thing, like Josh said. I think that um, they could have very easily just made another character action game and it would have sold well. Um, And I think that the decisions that they made uh, and the direction that they're taking the franchise in makes me very hopeful for the future of God of War games. So... um, the difference between at the end of God of Th- God of War three, looking forward to the next game, um, where I I wasn't really interested in seeing any more God of War. Now I am uh, now I'm like very invested in seeing where this goes next. Um, not just from a story perspective, which I did really like the story, but also seeing how they develop. Okay, we're we're changing this into this new type of game that, uh, for us for for the for the studio. How are we going to develop this and move this forward? Um, so I think they've taken a very good step to doing that, and I'm. I'm really interested to see what they what they come up with next. Excellent. Um, for another, uh, a very different take on Norse mythology, of course, as Carl's been playing it recently. Don't forget, we did a Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice podcast uh, <laughs> some time ago. If you want uh, some more Norse in your life, I suppose it has been a staple of gaming law, as you know, as many of the sort of the great uh, mythologies or theologies, maybe I should um, have been. Um, but yes, that's also worth checking out uh, for a even more serious and somber game, <laughs> for sure. So it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian and Josh, as well as our correspondents, and to you, of course, for listening, and to tell you that next time in issue 403, it's back to Raccoon City again for Resident Evil 2, the 2019 edition. 